Welcome to the Power Doc Talks, your number one source for information about powerlifting, sports injury and rehabilitation, nutrition, and evidence-based chiropractic with your host, Dr. Travis Dyer, sports chiropractor and elite-level powerlifter, also featuring guests in the top of their fields. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's been a little while since I did one, and I finally have a guest on that I've been wanting to have on for a while. Uh, so we have Dr. Brianna Tupper. Hello. Um, DPT, uh, so it's really cool to have a physical therapist on here, because uh, a lot of people think that Cairo and PT kind of go against each other and we, we hate each other, um, but we actually treat quite a bit of the same way. In fact, I just got a treatment from her and it was phenomenal and I use it uh, to really improve my lifts and make it so that I can do you know, everything that I need to do mobility-wise and to do it pain-free. Um, so the fact that you know a Cairo is getting treated by a PT, uh, I think that kind of goes against the little stereotype. Um, and I actually want to later get into what Cairo view is in PT school as well. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's talk about you a little bit. So how did you get into, well, first physical therapy and then you're a bodybuilder as well. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into that. So uh, give us a little bit of your background, uh, where you currently work, um, what you currently treat, stuff like that. All right. I actually went to school UNE and was a nursing major, quickly decided that I wanted to be in healthcare but did not want to be a nurse. So I went to applied exercise science, thought I was going to go more like personal training route, and liked it but kind of fell more in love with the physical therapy aspect um, through my gross anatomy course. Um, so decided to go to PT school and... Was that at UNE as well? Uh, so I went to Franklin Pierce, which is in New Hampshire, oh, okay. um, but finished my undergrad playing college field hockey at UNE, and then came back to Maine, did all my clinicals in Maine, still in Maine. Um, I recently just changed um, jobs, so now I'm at downtown Portland, Deerville Physical Therapy and Performance, um, before I was at OA, which is more of a post-surgical, um, doctors right on site, physician-owned practice. And so I treat anything post-surgical to, you know, marathon runners, um, to just just like a typical, more active population. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. we see a lot of people from Orange Theory, um, a lot of bodybuilders, um, and then yeah. So I two going on three years ago now. Um, I decided to do my first show. I started as a figure athlete, and quickly realized that I liked more for like WMBF, um, fit body, and then for OCB more physique. So a little bit more conditioned um, and just found it to be really fun. This year I'm kind of taking a hiatus. Yeah. I won my, my pro card so need to put on a little bit of size and who knows maybe one day step into the the powerlifting world, but... Yeah, that's what everybody right. says when they come on the podcast. <laughs> I think I just have that, like, it just rubs off on them that they you, just want to do powerlifting. You have that aura. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, I don't ever feel the need to do bodybuilding, so we'll right. do it like that. <laughs> um, but they do go really hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, like I said before, like, powerlifting off-season is a lot of hypertrophy work. Right. Um, and bodybuilding off-season really should be, like, heavy compound movements to build that dense muscle. And, uh, yeah, so yeah. they really do go hand-in-hand. Yeah. Hand. Um, I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> so you treat a lot of athletes as well. Uh, before I get into like later, we're going to talk about what we believe of like passive modalities, stuff like that, foam rolling, e-stem, all that stuff, which I've talked about before, but it's good to get another point of view on. Yeah. Um, 
talk us through like what your typical treatment looks like. So all of my treatments are typically, I think, very similar to yours. Um, you know, evals are hour long, and then we kind of develop a treatment plan that's going to work best for the patient and what they need to achieve um, from anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes to an hour where it's all one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need the manual, the grassin, the dry needling, um, any sort of those types of manual treatments, um, but then really making sure that you're doing the exercises correctly. We have a squat rack, so if you're getting pain with squatting, we load it up and see where. That's what I love to do too, because you can just go through like normal ranges of motion. So say someone's having pain with like squat or deadlift, you can just have them go through normal ranges of motion. They're not going to feel the pain that they're having. You have to actually have them go through the motion, like assess it. Yeah, you have to load it as well because you get up someone you know deadlifting you know 600 pounds, they don't feel the load or the pain until like 400. Right. Uh, If you just have them go like bend down, touch your toes, you feel any pain? No, because they're not up to you know where their tissue capacity is at. Exactly, and Um, you know same thing with like the typical runner that comes in. If you don't put them on the treadmill and you're not doing a gait analysis or a running assessment in their normal running shoes versus, you know, in barefoot, you're not looking at the two of those, then it's doing the patient a disservice. So you do that there as well? Yep. And you also said, you told me that you have like the force plate stuff? Yeah, so we do some force plate um, stuff so you can look at, you know, drop, jump, or counterpart movements. and just, you know, even someone after a knee replacement, putting them on there and see how much they're shifting away from that side or... Or even just as a regular as athlete, a regular just like, athlete. yeah, I see a lot of hip shifting and squats and stuff like that exactly. just to see like unilateral loads just being, you know, not yeah. symmetri- symmetrical. So, and then it, so basically we put it into a program. We work with Hawkins Dynamics, which is actually right in Westbrook, um, Maine. Um, and they, we have a whole iPad system that shows right versus left and, you know, what's your force vector is on all of these different things so it's objective measurement that allows either an insurance company to or the patient to actually see how much different it is yeah and see progress over time yeah so that's really cool yeah. um and it's really cool that you can get really in depth with that um a really great facility to do that i still want to go check that out yeah you have um to. so yeah uh what else were we going to talk about um talk about your time in pt school um pt school so i went to an accelerated program so we were in classes for 12-week terms um so it was more uh, manual therapy based versus anything else when i knew that that's something that i kind of wanted to get into um so a lot of some manipulation um and also in terms of just mobilizations and different movement theories and you know you end up hearing a lot about how chiropractors treat in pt school and i'm sure the same way in chiropractor school oh yeah well mostly what we heard is that pts hate us we didn't really hear like the other way yeah yeah um i think it's because our scopes do overlap a lot um totally however like we we had just talked um you deal more with like post-surgical rehab stuff um more of it than a chiro would than a chiro yeah not like saying that that's like all you do but like you see a lot more of it than i would um and in terms of like active care and active recovery stuff, I think PTs get a lot more exposure to that through school. Uh, we have like two classes of active care. Um, we have a class of passive care, but we have a ton more manipulation. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, and it makes <laughs> sense. I mean, if someone tears their ACL, 
they aren't necessarily going to go to their chiropractor to get right. the treatment and exercises that they need at that and point. And nor would I think that that would be an appropriate way to go either. Right. You know, exactly. if someone comes in with a torn ACL pretty recently or post-surgical, I'm not going to see them. Like, right. I deal a lot more with, like, acute musculoskeletal stuff rather than ligamentous, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they would definitely be going to you and getting right. your card <laughs> for that. Go see free. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, continue on. Uh, uh, yeah, so in terms of that, we, you know, learned a lot of manipulation and um, definitely not as much as you guys. And I don't – I use it here and there, but it's not in my everyday practice. Um, I focus more, I do dry needling and some cupping stuff, and I do a lot of um, pin and stretch. I was going to say more of the active kind of stuff, and yeah. Active. And I try to make it as relatable to what the patient can go home and do and carry over. Yeah. Um, I mean, the dry needling, they're not going to be able to go home and do. So, you know, one or two, up to six or eight sessions of that. Um, in the beginning, but again, as quick as possible, trying to get someone out the door so that they're not coming to see me 17 times in three weeks. Right, yeah. So. Which nobody has time for anyways. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, so talking about manipulation and stuff like that, we had just talked. Um, yeah. But, so the typical way that chiropractors see manipulation being used is the bone out of place theory, which I've done numerous videos and talked about a lot and it's just not valid anymore and yeah. well I guess I shouldn't have said that before asking you <laughs> what you think. I was gonna say well it's definitely not definitely entering bias in there but um, so what was like the the teaching of the use of manipulation like what do you use it for is it more like trying to put things back in place or is it more like restoring joint motion or it's more you... restoring the joint motion and then there's also like clinical prediction rules for the neck and lumbar spine in terms of when to manipulate, when not to manipulate, you know, if you have symptoms going down your leg from a disc herniation. I mean, my first go-to is not to manipulate your yeah. low back. Um, yeah, it's contraindicated yeah. for a disc herniation to have yeah. that, um, which I've seen so many times and it's so bad. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, being able to provide someone with traction and learning, teaching them how to t do self-traction, um, but the primary mode reason for me to do a manipulation was to restore joint motion and um you know everybody talks about the cavitation component what oh everybody loves a, that but with it, the cavitation yeah. you know what um, are, what do you tell your patients it's not necessary but it definitely is satisfying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like, feel like ah i got it <laughs> yeah like you can definitely feel like i can feel someone's like thoracic spine locked up that's super easy to like palpate and feel and sometimes I'll adjust and it doesn't capitate and they're like oh you didn't get it and like you feel in like the motion is fully restored and it's like right. no I did but like you didn't you get didn't the sound from crack. it yeah, yeah you don't need it but it definitely is very satisfying to hear because yeah. it's like yeah we did something like, in there you know yeah <laughs> but we were always taught that like you know it's it's not needed right but same same with us um if you don't get it you're still doing that grade five like yeah. thrust manipulation which is beneficial right um especially like even in shoulder pain doing into the thoracic opening up that thoracic motion helps significantly improve your posture and i've been doing it speaking of shoulder pain i've been doing a lot more glenohumeral adjustments lately it's been really? a lot of fun yeah get some crazy cavitations from them too yeah i don't yeah. do that but yeah i was gonna ask if you did extremities uh, um i the most common extremity that i end up doing um is like foot oh yeah like a cuboid like whip oh yeah yeah or talus polar yeah something like that um 
Yeah. So I like doing knees a lot too. Those are really good, especially in runners when yeah. like the peroneals and tibialis anterior get really locked up. The fibula gets really, the fibular head gets yeah. really locked up. So just do like the um, the water pump action with the knee. Yep. That's always a good one. And I've had someone who's like a, a triathlete and intense knee pain, especially with like plantar dorsiflexion and just moving your foot up and down. Sorry, we're like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just moving your foot up and down, like pressing on the gas pedal. And uh, really bad knee pain when doing that, and just did like the fibular head adjustment, and all the pain was gone. Like, wow. It can be really cool. Um, but yeah, so I guess we're going to jump around a little bit. Sometimes right. we can get a little flow to it, but yeah. we had a lot of questions come in from our Instagrams. Um, so we kind of want to address these because this is what we think people want to hear because they're asking about it. Uh, so, how I talked about this before is how I use my like clinical knowledge um, and stuff that I see to like kind of prevent injuries in myself. Yeah. Uh, while training so is there anything that any clinical pearls that you apply to your you know warm-up routines or training that you use to help make it so that you don't get hurt or can improve your performance anything like that yeah I mean I definitely I think a lot goes to the wayside because you're you're in the middle of prep time is especially if I'm talking more bodybuilding um, so time is of essence and then as you get closer to it you're you may be doing a little bit more cardio or be more restricted depending on whatever you and your coach decide to do. Um, I hate cardio, so I try to do as little as possible. So adding in stuff to keep myself healthy, like the stabilizing exercises, because if you don't do that and you don't focus on your weaknesses, um, it can show as an imbalances, you know, whether one lap pops out more than the other one glute or... Which I see every single day. Yeah, people when I treat in their body poses. Blood, yeah, yeah. Uh, or they can pose, they can do their quarter turn pose one way but can't do it the other way because they like the rotation that way. Right. Um, but the biggest thing I see is one lat opening up more than the other. Yeah, and I mean it's something that I definitely struggled with and um, so working on like my thoracic mobility um, and then also doing more single sided things, so single legs, yes. single, yeah, <laughs> single overhead press. Especially with well, for powerlifting too, because everything we do, both feet are always on the floor. Yep. You know, squat, and then basically when we do training, all our squat variations are, well, variations of the main squat. So we'll do either high bar, par squat, front squat, you know, right. safety bar squat, good morning, stuff like that. We're still, both feet are always on the floor. We don't do any unilaterally loaded movements. Yeah. Or if we do, it's in a machine, which takes away the whole stabilization aspect and of it anyways. And all the powerlifters that I see that come in and I try to have them do like a single leg RDL. Oh, good luck. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah. they don't, they can't balance on one leg. Yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> if you're, you know, you got to train all of those, and especially core. Um, I mean, I'm not a huge proponent on let's do a million sit-ups, but adding in planks and side planks into everything to keep, because if your core's not in both powerlifting and yeah. bodybuilding, then you're not going to be able to hold your pose or you're transfer not going to be able to force. transfer force. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, or also leads you to further increased risk of injury. Oh, my um, gosh. But I always say, like, you can't – so there's some people in powerlifting who are very big on just doing bird dogs, and that's mm -hmm. all the core work you need. But, like, you can't bird dog your way to a 100-pound squat. I'm nope. sorry you can't. you got to do other core work besides Absolutely. that. Um, add in rotation, add in variations besides just, you know. And, like, those compound movements end up – you have to abdominally brace. Yeah. And you have to work on your breathing techniques, and if you don't, then – And some people believe that's all you need to do for core work is heavy lifting or do beltless work, and it's really not the case. Right. you um, got to have a little mix of everything yeah. and also do rotational things. 
do even if you're not a rotational or anti-rotational things yeah. as well exactly uh, what's it called the like payoff press that's it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. i was doing the motion <laughs> those are really great too because anti-rotational as well as adding in rotational stuff um just to add stabilization in there as well um so you incorporate a lot of unilateral work then yes i almost in all of my sessions i probably do way more volume than you do oh yeah um <laughs> but well it depends on how you see volume right in terms of like reps and sets probably but yep. in terms of total weight moved right no <laughs> well okay i will totally agree with you on that because um, um it's funny i just had one of the girls i coach she's like 150 pounds and just her main squat volume was twenty five thousand pounds wow which is quite that's, a bit. That's intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we do we do a lot of volume, but it's broken up a lot more. Right. Or different variations. So when you're coaching, how often are you having people do lifts? Squat typically twice a week, but yep. it's different variations. Um, bench is twice a week, like always, mm -hmm. and then deadlift once a week. Thoughts on overhead squats? If you're not a power lifter, they're okay. Okay. Most power lifters don't have the mobility right. to do that, nor are you creating like the uh, the demand, the load that you would need to create like a, a stimulus to promote growth or strength. Right. Um, but Olympic lifting, they're huge. Right. You know stuff like that. Mobility wise, stability, they're great. I just don't apply them for powerlifting. In terms of, um, do you see a lot of CrossFit athletes? No. no. Well, like in office. Yeah. Some. Okay. Yeah. Some, not too much, but a lot of it is shoulder work. Is shoulder work? Yeah. I was going to ask what's yeah. the most common. Yeah. Uh, shoulder, some trap stuff, like some neck stuff, but that comes from like the scapular movement itself. Right. So, like anytime I have something with the shoulder or neck, I have to do everything Scat in the shoulder and yeah. neck. Yeah. Uh, same with the hips and low back. Like, yeah. you got to do everything. I mean, typically, if I'm seeing a CrossFit athlete, it is shoulder pain. Yeah. And it's usually just poor form. You break yeah. down the form and you actually lower the weight to not the RX weight. And they're fine and they can move better yeah um but yeah it's just it's i think crossfit's great i it's up and coming and we have to keep handling it as it comes through the door but um focus again back to that core work because that's where a lot of that comes into play yeah um anything else to add on to that no okay so that's um so do you do any i guess we'll jump ahead yeah and kind of tie this in do you do any like foam rolling before you lift or anything like that in terms of yeah so mobility? i i do um i say that very lightly i try to yeah. um i'm not always the best patient but yes i don't just give someone an exercise to go home and foam roll and do nothing else right uh, it's got to be coupled with something to help yeah the quickly restored motion Right, because um, that's what I always tell people. Right. If yeah. you just foam roll and then go to bed, good good job for foam rolling. You're not going to yeah. get anything out of it. Exactly. Because you get, I've described this before, you get like a transient increase in like a neurovascular response. So you get a little bit of increase in mobility. So if you follow it up like a dynamic mobility routine uh, or stretching or anything like that to make it so that you can do those better and get into a better pain-free position, especially say you can't even hit depth on squats. Yeah, maybe you need to foam roll a little bit first so that you can do better like stretching to open things up a little bit more so you can right and do it pain-free then that's all fine and dandy but if you just roll around on a foam roller and then jump right into your main lifts or anything like that you're really not doing anything that's exactly. how i feel yep um i've had so many people ask me about that and i feel like i address it all the time I too know. but um i answer that question probably 
two, three times a day. Yeah. When I'm in the office. And I have people, whatever, they tell me like, oh yeah, I foam roll this all the time and it's not getting better. It's like, I know, I can tell. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know it's not going to. You can foam roll it all you want. It's not going to. Right. Um, unless you add in that follow-up, you know, mobility work. Exactly. Which is super important. So how much mobility work do you do before a workout or after? Are you talking about myself? Yes, you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on the spot now because yeah. you're treating me. Um, I try to be very good with it. I'm not always great with it. I yeah. definitely do it more on like leg days. Oh, for um, sure. I do too. Because I haven't had issues with upper body. Like, right. you know, it's my adductor that's really, really bad. Um, Actually, working with you, I've gotten into better sumo positioning. Which is great. Wider stance, about two inches wider. My hips are closer, and it's feeling really strong. Um, and it's all because I've been getting this adductor work done, and I've been doing mobility before deadlifts, especially like the frog stretch, because that very mimics yeah. the sumo positioning already. Um, so do you do kind of the same thing? Do you try yeah, to do... Yeah, same thing. Try, like, especially for me, because my hips are so tight, you know, the, that pigeon stretch. Yep. Um, and then some foam rolling and making sure that I'm doing active movements, mm -hmm. like going through a dynamic warm-up, whether um, like we have like a turf, so going through like walking lunges or Frankensteins, like stuff to get my mobility, um, doing adductor stretching, like the feet spread apart, toes pointed in and sitting back onto your hips. Um, I think that's one you may have given me, actually. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But it helps. Oh, good. <laughs> then, <laughs> yes, I me, did give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Same thing for me is my adductors are junk, and I can't really sumo anytime I do. I go hurting myself and yeah. come knocking on your door. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so making sure I do my follow-up work, whether it's at the gym or not. I mean, I have a foam roller at home, um, and then I have a bike at home, too. So starting there, and yeah. then... I mean, I should be doing it more at the gym, but Everybody time. says, I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, I'll do more mobility at home. Yeah. Never once has that happened. No. Like, See, I <laughs> do do it. But there's no TV at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's usually a time thing. It's everybody's excuse is the same. I yeah. just don't have time. Yeah. Um, so getting there or doing one less set of something versus my mobility work is yeah. where I need Because you're going to get a lot more... Uh, dividends out of doing mobility work right. at the end. Um, right. And when that. I'm consistent with it, I have no pain. Right. So but nobody's ever consistent. It's right. okay. Um, I'm good, and then I feel good enough to not do the mobility oh, our work. Oh, us as clinicians, we're just as guilty of that as everybody right. else, because I'll have someone who, you know, I discharge them because they're doing really well, and they felt really good, so they stopped the mobility work, and they come back a few months later, like, exactly. yeah, I stopped doing it because yeah. I felt good, and it's like, yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah. Happens a lot. It happens to all of us. Right. Um, so in terms of anything else lifting-wise you want to talk about? Um, you're like coaching stuff in terms of how did you get into the coaching? Uh, was that chiropractic school or, or was no, that No, no, that was just lifting myself. Your power lifting? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, basically, Lauren was like my, not prototype, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the test subject for the first like time, yeah, guinea pig? yeah, guinea pig. That's <laughs> not a prototype. Um, it's been a long day. It's okay. um, so you just beat me up. So I'm a little. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, like just doing our training because I did her coaching basically since she started, um, cool. and then she got up to you know very good numbers and ended up doing it with my dad as well, and then he does pretty good, mm -hmm. and um, then did it with a few people when I moved back to Maine. Um, 
like didn't charge or anything for that because I feel like you just need to get experience at that point. Make yeah. sure that what you've done for yourself and like, you know, it's a small sample pool. Right. Like, okay, this works for these few people, but can we extrapolate this to fit a bigger population? Right. Right. So, um, got into that and it was working for them. So it's like, all right, let's uh, let's take this a little more seriously. So. So in terms of does your programming look the same or is it all individualized? It's all individualized, yeah. Which is um, great. And everybody's workouts are different. They follow a similar structure. Yeah. Like everybody has like the main competition lifts um, three times a week. The well, fourth day, <laughs> if someone can do a fourth day, it'll look like like a combination squat deadlift day typically. Oh, okay. We'll do a very, it won't be the competition lift. Gotcha. So it'd be like either a box squat or safety bar squat is like the, the main lift. Yeah. And then either like a Swiss bar bench or tempo bench because a lot of people don't have the tightness that on bench need. yeah so i like to throw in tempo a lot um stuff like that just a variation of the competition lift would be on the fourth day and it's a little bit higher intensity lower volume than the main lift um and then like during the week so say a squat day they start with the main movement of squat and if they go higher intensity for that they'll go higher volume for accessories and vice versa okay. so if they go higher volume on the main lift it'll be higher intensity for the accessories so they still get like the varying degrees of heavy weight plus also hitting good volume. Yep. Um, and then it, you have to go week by week depending on how they recover and adjust accordingly. Like I try to make it so that people don't have to deload. That the longer oh. you can go yeah. without deloading, I mean, the longer you're going to get. Like uh, typically I have to deload someone after like week eight or ten. Okay. Which is a lot longer than Versus normally people like do. five to seven. I did a program before it was every third week was a deload. Two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, yikes. yes, yeah. Yikes. So um, that messes with your head a little bit because then that first week back, it's like everything feels heavy. Right. And then the second week, you hit your stride and you hit a deload again. Right. You know what I mean? That's brutal. Yeah. So this I like to undulate it a lot so that people are always doing good work but never digging themselves too big of a hole in their recovery. Okay. Um, that's the biggest thing is yeah. that you always want to find that fine line between like performance right. and recovery. Absolutely. So good that you're not having everybody live seven days a week no never <laughs> i have the i had someone do five days a week for a while and problems start to arise and i was like no you gotta cut it back yeah yeah, yeah. but that's what they were used to was actually six days so five days was cutting was it back say, already yeah, I'm a bodybuilder and yeah i have to tell myself to take a break yeah at times because i could go every day you grow and get stronger when you rest right. not in the gym right right <laughs> but you have to give yourself enough stimulus in the gym to make that happen exactly so Exactly. You know, just get, get big and strong just by sitting at home. <laughs> <laughs> like to. Yeah, if only. Right. So, yeah. Um, I guess we'll get back more into the clinical side yeah. of things. Okay. Um, so, you didn't mention any of this in ways that you treat, so I just want to ask you about this because yeah. I've been asked about this a while, or a lot. Thoughts on cold laser, e-stim, ultrasound, or any other passive modality that you can think of. Um, so the only passive modality that I know that I use is neuromuscular re-education STEM, which is for a deficient quad after surgery. Is that Russian STEM? Yeah, Russian Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call that passive, though. Yeah, it, no, and it's, it's not it's passive. It's like a hybrid, but right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we don't have an ultrasound machine in our office. Yeah. We have that one E-STEM, and I hook up. The needles to but that's different than an e-stim that most people are used to exactly so i want to make that clarification because right. it's not like the tens unit e-stim right it's right. not a couple of pads on your body and you're comfortably laying there with a hot pack yeah it's quite uncomfortable because we had right. to do that in school like through all our passive you care should be classes. sweating and gritting your teeth yeah so is that where you hook it up 
and then you go through flexion of like contraction of the muscle and it aids in the contraction yeah basically yeah okay. i mean there's that or you can do like a straight leg raise with it so that you're not having a quad leg so that your oh. your knee is actually functioning your vmo is actually functioning properly gotcha. um again a lot more of the post-surgical yeah. than anything else other than that and as much as I can, I order that for a patient for home. Um, that's usually covered by their insurance company. So they doing it at home. They do it a couple times with me, and then Get it's the as it. much yeah. active with me as possible. Yeah. Um, so no, I use um, again a lot more post surgical Normatec. Um, which oh yeah, is those sleeves. Those are the awesome. sleeves. Yeah. yeah. Which aids in recovery, but other than that, we, I don't have a bag of ice for yeah. you. I don't have a hot pack. I don't. Yeah. I mean, there's just not enough research to back it up at this point. When I very first started, almost three years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, naive out of school, I had the hydrocolator with the hot pack, yep. and I did that for people. And it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I wasting ten minutes of their time of them coming to see me right. to do this? Right. Like, got rid of that really quick, and it's like, no, I'm gonna do, you know what they're like well i guess that is expected when you go to a Cairo office right well, like, that, well that's the problem <laughs> i think sometimes is it's you know you could be laying there with four other people at one time with the hop, everybody's hot pack and stim and then the chiropractor's going and manipulating you yeah and there's pt clinics like that too right you know i'm not saying that it's just chiropractors but yeah the ones that are most evidence-based research clinicians whether it be a pt or a chiropractor don't typically have them in the office. Yeah, and there's no need. You can you time. can do a heat pack at home, exactly. as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah. put some rice in a sock, if put it, it in the microwave. Good, yeah, yeah, do it. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't stop people from doing it at home, but I'm not gonna take your time. Like, you're coming to see me for my expertise, and there's no right. expertise put in. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, so let's do this. Um, ice versus heat. For what? Ooh, first time anyone's ever said that. Okay. Um, back pain. Acute or chronic? Acute. So, you know, typically, it's a preference thing. <laughs> That's an easy way to That's, skirt the it's, question. It's an easy way because, you know, you think the, the research shows the increased inflammation and, you know, you're vasodilating with heat and you're bringing more blood flow to the area in an acute situation, so then you don't want to be heating, so to speak. However, but then you can also look at it the other way and say, yes, it could be good in terms of the healing process. Right. But, but it also some people on can't the... stand ice even if they're swollen. Yeah. And it but depends on the mechanism of right. pain, right? Because low back pain is so nondescript. It could be from acute SI joint. It could be from a QL issue, right. coming from the glutes, glute med, instability, you know, joint issue, facet yeah. syndrome, disc herniation, anything. And they're all going to have a different, like, course of treatment. Right. Right. So I kind of want so to trip you out. So super... <laughs> you're not going to trip me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah. I mean, super acute low back pain, if the heat's going to feel better and positional-wise, it's going to help them to move better, go for it. But... I'm not going to tell you one way or the other because the next person can come in the office and say, ice has been the only thing that helps me. Right. So the nice. Yeah. I'm not going to twist your arm and make you heat or make you ice. Fair enough. So. Yeah. So what what about about you, ice or heat? It depends on the mechanism of injury. Good answer. And yeah, that's, that's really what it is. Okay. Um, and where in the body. Typically extremities, ice is a little bit better than like axial skeleton. Yeah. I, I tend to feel, um, it all depends. Yeah. Sprained <laughs> ankle, you're going to 
I'm not gonna heat. Right. Try to make yeah. it super swollen. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So right. what about cold laser? Because this is kind of. So this actually has some evidence to back it. Yeah. Like class four, uh, yeah, class type four laser. Um, I just think. So you don't use it. No. Why? Don't use it. For one, we don't have it. Two, They're insurance crazy expensive. Ran, yeah, insurance it's like thirty thousand dollars for a laser. Yeah, and I've had it done on me. Um, I have too. And it's it cool. feels good, but yeah. I couldn't say that like an hour later I felt any different. Right. In the moment, it takes similar thing. So much exposure and frequency to notice anything. Yeah. And it's like I'd rather do things best bang for your buck like let's get in there let's do something active I don't want you because right. that's what I felt like so I had it done on my shoulder um, in grad school and I literally had to go to the clinic every single day like Jeez. to get it done lay there for 15-20 minutes and didn't feel really any difference after like three weeks of doing it it's like what's the point yeah like so I feel like you can do better options and they get like, better outcomes why are quicker people spending $30,000 on this machine yeah I don't have, I don't have that. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. And then ultrasound we already talked about that, I yep. think, a little bit. Um, I think I saw a, a study that said it basically does the same thing whether it's plugged in or it's not. Oh uh, yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. There's that. Um, I've done it on people who ask for it specifically. I just have a little travel one. Yeah. Um, there's some just there's like I, a time and a place in terms of like a super akin acute tendonitis when the doctor prescribes like dexamethasone that you can drive into the skin through ultrasound. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's different. But again, that still takes like 10 to 12 treatments when, you know, doing some mobilizations with movement, some grass and work, even some needling or anything, and they're better and less than that. Yeah, um, I did. I've done like an acute, like crazy acute ankle sprain. The guy came hobbling in, super, super inflamed. Just dug in his uh, tibialis anterior a little bit, did a little bit of grasting on his peroneals as well, mm -hmm. and then did voodoo floss and moved his ankle around a bunch mm -hmm. and like flushed all the swelling out, and he could walk out fine. There you know what I mean? Like, I don't, yeah. Uh, There's no reason to sit there for eight to twelve minutes. Just moving it around slowly. Around yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel about it too. All right, so this is a fun one, and I've talked about this a lot. And I messaged the guy who sent this in, telling him I've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I've done a, a YouTube video on it, and I think I talk about it every podcast because it drives me crazy. Um, but I want to hear from you how to spot a bad PT. How to spot a bad PT? Yes. I mean, I think it's similar. To, you got to add, like, spotting a bad chiropractor, but... You, That's what the question was, okay. but I'm, Yeah. Yeah. Put that on me. It's all yeah. Right. Um... You know, look at their clinical education, look at their, their bio tells you a lot of what they like to treat or what they treat often, and if you're experiencing something that they haven't treated, then that's, you know, we all see something that's new, and like the only way to learn is by continuing to treat something new, but you, you gotta ask the right questions in terms of experience plays a role into things, like mm -hmm. how long have you been doing this? Do you have any experience or if you don't know something, a big thing which doesn't let PTs are put on the spot, but I don't know if they always like to be put on the spot, of how much time do you have with just me hmm. um, so that you can actually listen to health history yeah. and um, what is your communication either with my doctor or someone that referred me in terms of like if you refer a patient to me 
then like are you going to talk to them so that your treatment plans are coordinating right because if you you know i'm sending them back to you but not telling you anything that helped or didn't help then you're doing the patient a disservice and you're just bouncing them back and forth right um are there any i'm gonna cut you off no are there any like treatments or uh like techniques themselves that you don't like i don't know if it's anything that I don't like um, everybody's going to treat has their own little nuances of doing things um, but if I'm just spending every single session with you doing 45 minutes of manual and no exercise for you to then go home and mm-hmm. try to help you maintain this on your own as much as possible then that's not great Right. Um, again it really depends so much is dependent on what you're being seen for Yeah. Um, but in terms of like back pain, if you don't teach people how to move and what to do and teach them about the anatomy that's involved, yeah. um, then it's not fair to the patient. Right. Because if they don't understand, oh, like your hip flexor actually inserts on your spine and has a role into things, yeah. and you sit all day and sitting's an aggravating factor, <laughs> um, then- Go figure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in giving them different ways to offload or stretch or work on their mobility. A lot of PTs will, you know, I hate to call them cookie cutters, but you get, you have back pain, you get these six exercises. You get these two stretches. And you know, if you're going in and doing the same exact routine every time, then you shouldn't be going to them. Yeah, you should be learning something new every time. Right. That's how I feel. Um, Like every time I have someone come in, I do different things with them. Yeah. Like, oh, you're still doing those two stretches? Good, let's show you two more. Right. You know, something like that. Um, How do you spot a bad chiropractor? Oh, easy. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> if they do heat, stim, and adjust, and that's it. Yeah. Anywhere on their website, if they say innate or subluxation, that's okay. that's usually a Red good sign. Flag, yeah, because yeah, the bone out of, the subluxation, bone out of place theory, they're yeah. going to take x-rays and just adjust you, and that's it. Yeah. Because um, they believe that every thing that you have going on in your body is from that bone being out of place pressing on your nerves that's i mean that's the simplest way to do it yeah um makes sense (laughs) makes perfect sense yeah i mean it's i think it's a little bit harder with pts on in terms of like spotting a bad one because there's just so many more clinics where you have so many more therapists and so you go to the clinic and unless you were being specifically referred there to someone then you're just going to get who has the first open spot in your schedule and you hope that they're they're good yeah. um, or that they're not seeing 57 people that day you know I mean I'm yeah. being yeah over exaggerating that would um, be an exaggeration for some of these chiropractors right. some of them see so many people like 500 people a week it's insane <laughs> no really like that's crazy. rack them crack and put them in a big room just go around adjusting everybody that's it that's crazy yeah no so I mean there's different things but just just ask questions it's your health care it's your it's your overall well-being and if you don't know, then shoot one of us a, a message. We'll be able to tell you. Yeah, so do you want to uh, do your Instagram or anything on there where people can contact you? Yeah. Um, or so your work email, something like that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've tried to send people to you. Um, yeah, it's, we're not like the easiest location, but if you know where like top of the east, east is, we're right there on High Street. you're on High Street, right? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, so right downtown Portland, which is great if you walk down, if you live or work down there, then it's an easy walkable place. Um, and so my Instagram is at btupper, um, pretty simple. And then my email is btupper at deergoptp.com. 
Um, and I can put that in uh, the description for the podcast as well. Yeah, perfect. Um, just because I've tried to send a lot of people to you, because um, you take most insurance, correct? Yeah, we take yeah. pretty much all insurance. Um, we also do cash. We also do um, performance training, which is all one-on-one, which is a little bit different in terms of... Um, it's not physical therapy. It's, you know, you're at this point in more considered maintenance therapy from, I guess, from a physical therapy standpoint, but performance training. So you're working on the explosiveness of, you know, it's more strength and conditioning, I guess. Is is it sport specific? Yeah, sport specific. And it's all individually tailored. I mean, all of our treatment plans are tailored, but again, also the um, performance side of things. I work with Lloyd Beckett, he's the owner and founder of the clinic. Um, he used to be the Brooklyn Nets physical therapist. Um, awesome. So he does a lot of, he does pretty much all the performance training. Um, and he's great, super nice guy, super knowledgeable. Um, and so yeah, so even if it's performance training, getting back to Orange Theory, um, like that type of training or bodybuilding, any of it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm glad that we could finally do this. Um, just kind of compare and contrast, and really, it's mostly just like, yeah, we're a lot of like, you know we're, what I mean? Like, we yeah, are more <laughs> similar than I think everybody thinks. We yeah, because like, so you treated me, and it's almost identical to the way that I treat people with the same complaint that I have. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it, it's really cool to see. I'll also be putting up a time lapse video because I took a video of you treating me, so you can see <laughs> me crying during it. And, <laughs> Um, sweating yeah yeah good thing it's a time lapse because then you can't hear me crying or swearing (laughs) or anything like that um so i'll be putting that up too so in case um well i've had time lapse videos that patients have taken of them getting treated by me so i think it'd be cool to you know kind of reverse the role a little bit um absolutely so yeah uh thanks for coming on is it nothing else to add nothing perfect thank you we're good and uh if you have any questions about anything feel free to message me on instagram that's the easiest way to reach me the power doc um or feel free to message Bree. thanks Thank you for listening to the Power Doc Talks. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Also, be sure to follow at the Power Doc on Instagram for more educational content and leave suggestions for future episodes.